0: The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. As summertime approaches, one of the things that happens is a lot of our folks that are regular teachers with our kiddos take a break in the summertime, and uh, we have opportunities for you to serve, many of you on the receiving end throughout the year, now it's an opportunity for you to give back. And uh, these are the specific needs we have as of right now in the area of children's ministries. Impact is an opportunity for each of us to be involved in our body. Impact, as you heard Shannon say on the video announcement, when we go into the backyards uh, of your homes and our youth who are well-trained, share Christ with uh, the folks, the youth in your neighborhood that you invite young people. Last year we shared Christ with over 1,000 kiddos, and uh, it's just a great opportunity for us to reach out into our community rather than to have the community come to us we go to them. Your house becomes a lighthouse year-round for the gospel. So if you'd like to host a uh, a, a good uh, uh, backyard Bible school, we've got morning and evening slots available. And it's also an opportunity for us as a body to be involved. We need over 100 people to bring food. We need 50 drivers. So this is a church-wide effort as we reach our community and serve others and minister and preach the gospel. Uh, we're always challenging you to be in the Word. If you look on the tables in the hallway, there are little booklets to help you do that. Daily Walk takes you through the Bible in a year, Closer Walk, New Testament in a year, and Daily Bread. looks at uh, devotionals one of the things that's happened at tbc we are blessed with long tenured staff folks that is highly unusual and uh, this week we celebrate or this year we celebrate casey burke and martha gunn with us for 15 years and dave tate and beth Mackey for 10 years so we appreciate their tenure here at tbc and then we have a number of our here we go i think we've got that going a uh, number of our UMHB students or college students in general will be graduating. This is our last hurrah with us, so we'd like to recognize them. If you're a graduating senior anywhere out there, most of them will be over here. Would you stand for a second? We'd just like to honor you, congratulate you. Any graduating There we go. Over here, back there. So we'll be we'll be honoring our high school students. Lord bless you as the Lord takes you on to uh, the work world or to graduate schools. We pray that you've had a foundation here at TBC and you will continue to grow. And uh, the rest of you guys, we're going to ship you off one day. Your folks have said get them out in four years. So we're going to work on that. You know, we rejoice with those who rejoice, but we also weep with those who weep. Uh, Maybe you've seen the newspaper or know that uh, Temple High School student uh, Kimmy Longbotham was killed in an accident. Her grandmother, Lana, has been a part of our body for over two decades. And so be praying for the Longbotham family. There will be a memorial service next weekend, I believe. And uh, Kimmy knew Christ, walked with Christ, honored Christ. And uh, as you can imagine, devastating time for that family. Second John, small epistle, I appreciate Stephen preaching Philemon last week, Uh, Bev and I were away with, uh, for five nights, I can count them all, with uh, four grandkids, eight kittens, two dogs, one pet snake, one fish, three kids playing t-ball, and uh, not much sleep, so I'm glad to be back. Poor Beth, Pray for her. She got a plane. We came back Tuesday. She got a plane Wednesday to go keep a different grandkid in California for a week. So uh, she'll be in bad shape when she gets home. (laughs) The elder to the chosen lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, for the sake of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Verse 4. I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth just as we have received commandment to do from the Father. Verse 7, there are many deceivers that have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the Antichrist. Father, we rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. We rejoice with these young people who are finishing up years of study, and we pray for them as they go out that they will keep Christ first and foremost in their lives. Provide for them. They go to graduate schools or to the workplace or military, whatever it is they do, Father, I pray blessing over them. Pray for the Longbotham family. Father, we cannot imagine the great pain of seeing an 18-year-old taken. Thank you that Missy knew you, walked with you, and honored you with her life. Pray blessing over that family. And Father, we need to hear from you this morning. Uh, We look at this section and we see that some walked with you and you honored them and others were deceived and uh, chastised. We want to be those who walk and are honored. In Christ's name, amen. In our day and age of tolerance, not many are willing to boldly speak the truth. In our day and age of tolerance, not many are willing to boldly speak the truth. That's true in political circles. It's true in corporate circles. It's true in our culture in general. And so what we find is a culture that's filled with compromise. We find that truth is not something that's absolute, but truth is something that is seen as relative. And in our day and age, many are unwilling to stand for truth. One of the things we try and do at TBC week after week after week is open the book, put you in the book, speak truth in an uncompromising but loving way so that you can see that our desire is to impact the culture, not to have the culture impact us, but for us to be able to see truth, understand truth, honor truth, and walk in truth. That's our desire. Twenty times in 1 John, 2nd John, and 3 John, the word truth appears. In fact, if you write in your Bibles, if you look in verse 1, the word truth occurs two times, I lo- I, whom I love in truth, who all know the truth. And then in verse 2, the word truth is mentioned again. Twenty times in 1, 2nd, and 3rd John, the word truth is brought up because the first century church was on a head-on collision with those who were seeking to compromise. False teachers were coming in, they were seeking to derail the church, and they were seeking to teach them things that were not true. So in a day and age when no one stands up for truth, it's our desire to speak truth and stand up for truth. Many of you are aware of the racist statements made by Donald Sterling, the owner of the Los Angeles Clippers this past week, in the NBA. I believe rightfully so. He was banned from the NBA for life and is being forced to sell his team. And I'm grateful for those that stood up and spoke truth. Someone was also bold enough and brave enough to speak truth related to this incident. Now, it may not uh, you may think it's a strange place, but somebody sent me this email about somebody taking that same stand and speaking truthfully. Uh, it's an interesting group. Those a Dallas Cowboys. Uh, how many of you have seen this? Some of you have seen this, and uh, you see them praying, Dear God, please make, and they boldly spoke truth, Jerry Jones, say something racist. <laughs> truth. I picked up the Hartford Net. Somebody sent me uh, the classified ads from the Hartford, Connecticut newspaper. It had truth in it as well this past week. Here's a classified ad, Hartford, Connecticut, this past week. Free Yorkshire Terrier, 8 years old. Hateful, little dog. <laughs> Hateful. Some people boldly speak the truth. Hey, we want to speak the truth. We don't want to compromise about truth. The problem in the first century is the church was beleaguered, badgered, and battered by those who were speaking untruths. The untruths related specifically to who Jesus was. I, I, I mean, if you look down at verse 7, it says, Many deceivers have gone into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus' coming in the flesh. So so the issue here is about who Jesus is. John has already set this up in uh, 1 John when he says, Who is the liar? It's whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Evidently, there were some people in the first century in the church that uh, John is writing to who, who are saying specifically that Jesus is not the Christ. And then you go to 2 John, and he says there's a problem. There are those who are deceived, saying that Christ is not come in the flesh. And so the big issue here, guys, the issue here is they are denying Christ, They're saying Christ is someone who he did not claim to be, or or the claims of Christ are not true. And so John stands up to these people who are speaking untruths. John stands up to these people who are seeking to deceive the church, who are battering the church, who are beleaguering the church, who are speaking those things that are not true. These people are, are in First John 2.19, says they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. These are not true believers, but these are people who have infiltrated the church. We call them wolves in sheep's clothing. Basically, they were speaking falsehoods into the church. The church is filled with people who do these things at times. Now, what was true in the first century is true today as well. And so John's going to do two things. He's going to commend them for walking in truth. He's going to issue them a warning about truth. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. He's going to commend them for walking in truth. His audience, if you look at verse one, a lot of a lot of the uh, Old Testament—I'm uh, sorry, a lot of the New Testament books begin with to the church at Ephesus, church at Galatia, church at Colossae, church at Thessalonica. But if you look at the first verse here, that you've got to ask a question: Who's John writing to? He's writing to the chosen lady and her children. Now, who is the chosen lady and who are children? Well, scholars debate this. Some would say, well, he's writing to a specific lady and he's writing to her children as well. Basically, I think who John is writing to, though, is a specific church. The chosen lady would be a feminine metaphor for the church. He says to the chosen lady, meaning the church, and we see that in other places in the Scripture. For instance, we we talk about the bride of Christ, the bride of Christ being the church and we see Bride of Christ as a feminine metaphor not only that but in john's this little book of second john or postcard we're calling it we also see the tone of the book has to do more with a group of people than a singular person and then the word you is found plural throughout this book and so personally i think john is writing to a specific church with a specific issue and he's coming to them and he calls them the chosen lady the church the chosen lady and the children a beloved term of those who are part of the church and so to these battered, beleaguered, struggling folks, John encourages and exhorts them in their battle for truth. That's basically what Second John's about. Without looking at the specifics, you've got now, or without looking at the, the teaching, you now know the audience and what John's doing. He begins with a commendation. Commendation. If you look at verse 1, he writes to them and he says, Whom I love in truth. Not only I, but also all who know the truth. He begins by commending them. He lets them know that he loves them. Not only that, if you drop down to verse 4, he says, I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth, just as we have received the commandment to do so from the Father. So what John does in the very beginning, he expresses his love to those that he's writing to, and then he commends them for making his heart glad. I mean, when you look at that, that's how John starts. Now, remember, this is a battered group of people. These are people who are struggling. These are people who some have deserted the truth and gone another way. Some have listened to these false teachers and drifted away. And from the beginning, John commends them, and he says, I want you to know that I love you. I've got a place in my heart for you that I care for you. Not only that, but you make me glad when I hear of you walking in truth. When you look at that section, just those two things, those words of commendation, we can learn from John. We can learn from John. Uh, John begins and he says, I I want you to know, first of all, that I really care about you. I I love you. too often in our society, there are many people that go through life without hearing those words. And I think one of the greatest things we can do in the body of Christ is to love others in word and in deed. It begins in the home when we as parents... And grandparents, I might add, speak words of blessing and love into the lives of those we're with. There are those, there are adult men and women in this body who long to hear from a grown and aged mom and dad, an elderly mom and dad, those words, I love you. That's simple. And John begins by saying, I love you. I love you. He says, I want you to know, in spite of everything you've been through, in spite of the fact that there are struggles here, in verse 1 he says, whom I love in truth. And then he says, you've made my heart glad. I was very glad to find out some of you are walking in truth. And I tell you, that's really true. For me, one of the greatest uh, things as a pastor is seeing and hearing of people walking in truth. Just this past week, Shannon showed me the video that you guys put together for Sea Life. And a lot of you who are graduating spoke to that, and it brought great joy to my heart. You made my heart glad this past week. When I looked at that video and and heard you speak of what God had done in your life in the past four years through sea life and through the body, it made my heart glad. And then Tim, who was up here as our junior high pastor, last Sunday most of our junior highers were gone to Pine Cove. We're about 50 of them anyway. On any given Sunday, you might not be aware of that because you don't go to the Outback. Many of you don't. We've got about 150 to 60 junior high kids, about 120 high school kids. And last weekend, about 50 of our junior high kids were away at Pine Cove, and I had lunch with Tim this weekend. He was telling me the work that God had done in the hearts and lives of some of these, high, some of these junior high kids. And through impact, we've continued to have a ministry at, uh, at uh, Meadow Village on Canyon Creek. canyon I forget the name of it now. And, and two of these kids were able to go to Pine Cove last week. For one of them, the first time he'd been outside of Temple, Texas, junior high. Amazing, isn't it? And the work that God is doing in the hearts and lives of these kids. And it just—it brings you great joy as a pastor to see what God is doing. I went to Starbucks one day this week. And as I went there, I saw two men from TBC pouring over the word of God together. I walked out and said, why would those guys be doing that? They don't need to be doing that in public. You think I did that? Man, my heart raced for joy. Men in the word, unashamed, together, growing in Christ. And John says, you've made my heart glad. You've made my heart glad because you walk in truth. Got an assignment for you this week. You ready? Get your pens ready? Get your phones ready? Take notes on your phone? That's what I do now. Okay? Who has encouraged you? Well, lunch on my back porch. I can get it or you can come. That's pretty good. I didn't know that was on there. It's a text message. (laughs) Wasn't why I pulled that out, actually. but, But write a name down. Who has encouraged you by their walk with Christ? Who has made your heart glad when you've watched their lives? Who is it? I mean, who in your world, do you look at them and say, boy, they have modeled Christ to me. That made my heart glad. I I tried to apply that this week. And, uh, you know, it's really a fun thing to think through the lives of folks and see what God has done in those lives. Send them an email. Send them a text message. And just thank God for them. Encourage them. That's what John did. That's what John did. And he moves from commendation to a command. And it's an interesting command. It's a command we're all familiar with in verse 5. And now I ask you, lady, not as writing to you as a new commandment, but the one which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. So the command is pretty simple. Love one another. And what is love? This is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you've heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. So John says, "I I want you to follow the command. The command is to love one another. Sounds simple, doesn't it? Sounds simple. Is it? I mean, really. How many of you here this hour because you really don't want to bump into somebody that came first hour? (laughs) Really. The command to love one another. How many of you would have been really happy if we could have Vita recorded your morning this morning, getting dressed, getting ready, and driving to church? Loving one another. I mean, really. How many of you are at odds, don't raise your hand, with somebody else in the body of Christ right now? You see, Jesus is pretty specific. He says, a new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. This is my command, love each other. It's pretty clear what Jesus expects of us, doesn't it? Pretty clear. So if you are living your life in bitterness and hatred and anger towards somebody else, you're walking in sin and you're living in sin and you're not obeying the command of Christ, you need to repent and you need to go and be reconciled. How's that for speaking truth? It's the truth of the Word of God. No compromise. You've got somebody in the body of Christ you're angry at, you're mad at, and you can't stand. The Word of God says, and don't give me this psycho babble. People have come to me over the years and they say, well... I love him, but I really don't like him. Now, tell me how that works. Be- Be- if Bev comes home on Wednesday and says, "Babe, I really love you, but I don't like you," how do you think that's going to work? But but I've heard that. I've heard that from folks who say, I-, I-, "I love him in Christ, but I don't like him," and that makes absolutely no sense. No sense. A bunch of psychobabble. And so what the word of God has called you to do is to love. John repeats this in First John. This is a message we have from the beginning. We should love one another. We should love one another. The body of Christ should be filled with people loving one another. John Wesley said this, let love not visit you as a transient guest, but be the constant temper of your soul. See that your heart is filled at all times and all occasions with real benevolence, not to those only that love you, but to every soul. See, it's easy to love those that love you. But he says your love should go to everyone. In fact, the scriptures teach us, one of my friends here who counsels for us teaches, scriptures teach us to love our enemy, to love our neighbors, and to love one another. I mean, pretty clear, isn't it? John Wesley goes on and he says, let it pant, let love pant in your heart, let it sparkle in your eyes, let it shine in all your actions. Whenever you open your lips, let it be with love and let there be on your tongue the law of kindness. Over the years, I've met many loving people. I've met many unloving people. Met many loving people. People in this body who love. I've also met people who really, they're grumps. I mean, they're just grumps. And and they really don't want to love. They don't want to get involved in anybody else's life, so they have to love them. So they live isolated lives in bubbles, unloved. And what a tragedy. What a tragedy. Scriptures are very clear. What does love look like? Sometimes kids say it best. I mean, really, the Scriptures say in 1 John, we're to love one another in word and in deed. So that means with our words we love one another, and with our actions we love one another. And, you know, God, you have done that for us in the past year in remarkable ways, and we are so grateful. But it's to be body-wide. It's to be us loving one another, caring for one another. Kids say it best. This is what love looks like. Love is when you go out to eat and give somebody most of your French fries without making them give you any of theirs. I mean, really, from a kid's perspective, that's love, isn't it? That's sharing is what it's called. Love. When my grandmother uh, got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it even for, does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis, too. That's love. Hey, grandparents, you don't think your grandkids are watching you? This is a kid defining love. Parents, you even more so, because every day you're with them. What's love? Doing piano recital. I was on stage and scared. I looked at all the people watching me and saw my daddy waving and smiling. He was the only one doing it. I wasn't scared anymore. That's love. And then my favorite one, God could have said magic words to make the nails fall off the cross, but he didn't. That's love. He Gave his life for us. Somebody has said love is listening, overlooking, valuing, and expressing. Good acrostic. When you listen, when you overlook, when you value, and when you express. That's love. Little children, love in word and in deed. So then he goes on and he defines that. He says, this is love that we walk according to his commandments. And so he says, when you keep the commandments, then you are displaying love. Now, the scriptures say in John 13, he has my commandments and keeps them. He it is who loves me. And I am one who is quick to call people to obedience. I'm quick to call people to obedience. I I believe that's one of the hallmarks of the word of God. There are times, though, where honestly, I think I have gotten it wrong. I think I've gotten it backwards. There are times when we have done this. In our day and age, in the 21st century, when when there's so much chaos and so much promiscuity and, and so many promises broken and so much pain and so much heartache, I think a lot of times we call people to behave, then we tell them to believe, and then we tell them to belong. And basically, that's moralism. We call somebody to behave first. We're saying, clean up your act. Uh, be squeegee clean on the outside, get your marriage together, get your life together, quit doing all these bad things, that's behavior. That, that's behavior. And so, so we're saying behave, believe, and belong. And I'm saying that's wrong. That's wrong. And I have been guilty of this at times when I have called you to obedience without making the gospel the issue first. Because I truly believe this is the way it should take place. We believe, then we belong, then we behave. We believe, that is, our hearts are changed and there's internal transformation. And because we're internal transformed, we want to be part of a community of believers. And as part of a community of believers and our hearts are transformed, then the next thing we're going to do is we're going to see our behavior change because of who we are in Christ. Otherwise, it's really out of the flesh. Otherwise, we're just calling people to be good Boy Scouts, to be moral. And the, differentiate, the difference between, the thing that differentiates the church from every other institution is we have someone to believe in, someone to place our hope in, someone to change us internally, someone to transform us, and that person is Jesus. Which leads us to the warning. The warning is a bit of false teaching. And the false teaching has to do with Christology. That is who Jesus is. And if you look down... At verse 7 he says, there are many deceivers, the word is liar, there are many liars who have gone into the world and they do not acknowledge Jesus is coming to the flesh. This is the deceiver, the liar, and the antichrist. Antichrist not being the specific person of the future, but anyone who is of Satan's domain and teaching in that way. And so what John is saying is when people teach that Jesus is not who he claimed to be, that's a false teaching, they're of the camp of Satan and they are liars. And so when somebody says Jesus is not who he claimed to be, specifically here, they're saying Jesus did not come in the flesh. There were two groups in the first century that taught that. There was a group called the Gnostics. They taught Jesus did not really come in the flesh. Uh, actually, he became divine, and, and his flesh went away. And the docetists, they taught that Jesus was really an aberration. He was really like a ghost-like character. He didn't have a body. And these two people were wreaking havoc in the early first century church. And John stands up and does not compromise on truth and he says these people are deceivers and they're of they're the devil. People that teach a false doctrine about who Jesus is, this is who they are. Now let me remind you, these are people in the church. These are false teachers invading invaded the church. Hey, we're not saying, I had somebody come up to me after and say, does that mean we're not supposed to associate you know, with a Buddhist or a Hindu or you know, folks... No, no, that's not what we're saying here. Jesus loved the sinner. But when folks rise up and they teach a false doctrine about Jesus in the church, the next two verses, he says, not only is there warning about false teaching, but of false teachers. you don't show them hospitality. You don't even greet them. You beat them out. One of the reasons, honestly, I do not uh, engage with Mormons or with Jehovah's Witnesses when they come to my door is the application of these verses. They claim to be Christian, but they do not teach who Jesus is. It's a false doctrine. I invite you to pick up a book. I don't recommend books too often, but I think everybody ought to have this book in their library to help them. It's called, So What's the Difference? The author is Fritz Ridenauer. What Ridenour does, he very simply compares evangelical Christianity with the major world religions. He does it with Buddhism, with Islam, with Hinduism, with Shintoism, and then he does it with Eastern Orthodoxy, and then in the last chapters with Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, and New Age, who claim to be Christian, but they're not right on the doctrine of who Jesus is. Fritz Ridenour, So What's the Difference? Uh, The charts at the end, he just lays out the basic doctrines and shows how they differ than we do in our belief. It's worth the price of the book. So, he warns against these false teachings and false teachers. His conclusion, he says, I'd like to come see you, verses 12 and 13, we greet you. Truth, know it and live it. Specifically the truth about who Jesus is. Jesus would say in John 14, 6, and John, the same author, would write and say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus. He was 100% God, 100% man. He walked on this planet, lived his life, so that you could have eternal life through him. Don't be confused about who he is. There are a lot of people in our world who are, Charles T.A. Flood was recently kicked out of the Episcopalian church as one of their priests because he led in an all-saints prayer that said, Abraham, Isaac, Joseph, Mary, Buddha, and Mohammed, all the prophets of all who have led God's people to God's light. And he kept praying. Really? Muhammad, Buddha, have led God's people to God's light. To their credit, the church booted him out. And he's no longer a part of it. Who is Jesus? Who is he? Do you know him? Two weeks ago on Easter, I showed you my favorite video. And uh, it was Peter. You remember that video by the skit guys? And it really is my favorite video. When I look at that and Peter asks that question or says, you called my name, I still get tears. My second favorite video is from a african-american pastor whose last name is lockridge i believe and uh he gets it right about who jesus is no the doubt Bible says my
1: king is the king of the jews he's the king of israel he's the king of righteousness he's the king of the ages he's the king of heaven he's the king of glory he's the king of kings and he's the lord of lords that's my king I I wonder, do you know him? (laughs) My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon. centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the pride he sympathizes and he sees he's written and
0: Say that man knew who the Savior was. Would you agree with that? I hope you do. I hope you do. I hope you'll know the truth and you'll live the truth.